Welcome to the Digestible Dynamics Podcast, a podcast for the innovators from the experts. We know that you're busier than ever, and the last thing you need as a business applications innovator is a lengthy, drawn-out podcast where you walk away with the possibility of learning something new. Well, that's how the Digestible Dynamics Podcast is different. Each episode will contain one digestible tidbit about Dynamics 365 that you can immediately apply to your business. With the combined experience of three decades in the business application space, Dr. KJ and I understand that the power of technology is not about the features and functions, but rather the value it can bring to your business to help you transform and drive growth. That's why we'll focus on the most useful things that you need to know about the Dynamics 365 platform. Welcome, everyone, to the Digestible Dynamics Podcast, your number one source for snackable tidbits that help you optimize your Dynamics 365 experience. Kevin, did you know that the term artificial intelligence was coined in 1956? I can't say that I did know that, and that's something new that I learned today. 1956 seems both so long ago, but also relatively recent. And we've really made some massive advancements in the field of AI. That is correct. Neither one of us were born at that time. And I don't even think we've even scratched the surface of what AI can do. But if you think about how much data we output every single day, that's just more input for our AI to learn from, right? It's getting smarter every day. And to that point, I know that the frontier technologies like quantum computing are going to help take AI to the next level too. It's an exciting time. Now, KJ, I want to ask you a question. Back in your day, in the olden times, is this what it was like when the internet was gaining popularity? Man, you're a lucky guy. (laughs) I'm not that much older than you anyways. But yes, when the internet was picking up steam, there was a cultural explosion of interest, uh, fear and excitement of the new technology. We could go back and forth about AI, but today we're going to focus on the basics of AI. Yeah, more specifically, we're going to discuss the fundamentals of Azure OpenAI with this week's guest, Nick Brady. Let me go ahead and introduce him. Nick Brady is a senior program manager within Azure AI product engineering at Microsoft, where he works on the Azure OpenAI service. He received his bachelor's and master's of science from Purdue University's Noyes School of Technology, where he studied management and computer science and has been focusing on AI since 2018. He helps Microsoft's customers and partners worldwide to understand and realize the potential of AI for business value and innovation and shares his insights on the latest AI trends and developments. He received the Distinguished Speaker Award in 2020 from the Microsoft Redmond Executive Briefing Center. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Digestible Dynamics Podcast. This week, we have Nick Brady, Senior Program Manager for Azure OpenAI, and you may guess it, we're going to talk about Azure OpenAI. Welcome, Nick. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Now, help our listeners understand what is Azure OpenAI. Yeah, uh, you know, so Azure OpenAI actually stems from our our work uh, in partnership with with OpenAI, you know, an independent research organization that that focuses on developing and advancing artificial general intelligence that benefits humanity. And some of the work that they've done in in generative AI uh, is really important for organizations to understand how they can use it rather than reducing costs, figuring out how to maximize business value. And so Azure OpenAI service is a cloud-based service that enables developers and businesses 
to leverage the power of OpenAI's AI models, such as GPT-4, the latest release that's in preview uh, from OpenAI, as well as everyone who's probably really well aware of is listening to this now, ChatGPT, which is based upon the GPT-3.5. It's it's the GPT Turbo model. And, you know, these could be used for a variety of applications and use cases. And so it's so fascinating because a lot of people will approach us asking, well, what are the use cases? I'm like, it's almost easier to describe what use cases that they can't do versus (laughs) all the use cases that they can, because nearly any natural language task is a good use case for these generative AI language models. And so through Azure OpenAI service, Microsoft customers can access these AI capabilities and integrate them directly into their products and services. And the advantage of picking Azure is it comes with the same security, privacy, and compliance uh, requirements that our customers know and trust. No, that's super awesome, Nick. And, you know, one thing I, I think our listeners want to know is how did you learn OpenAI, right? I mean, it's it's a lot of artificial intelligence, large language models. So what what got you on this journey? Yeah, I've, I've been working uh, in and around uh, Microsoft since 2016. Prior to that, uh, I spent my time at, at Purdue University in both, uh, you know, computer science and uh, and wanted to focus in in uh, you know management in that particular area. Of course, no college degree will tell you that they've prepared you for senior program management uh, in this particular space. But that means that we do a lot of things. This means. We're working with customers every single day, uh, discovering you know what their unique needs are, and sometimes these are often unmet and unarticulated needs. And so, when I got my start at Microsoft in 2016, you know I quickly spoke to about uh, you know over 700 customers in, in my first 18 months, and so it, it gave me a crash course, you know, on some of the challenges that we have, you know, when we work at Redmond's, oftentimes it feels like we live in a bubble where everyone's data is in the right place, in the right shape, everyone has the right access to it, and it's really easy to just do stuff. Well, it's nice, we can do that in a demo environment, but when you get down into real work, you know, so I left Microsoft actually, you know, 18 months after that, and uh, started working in a startup and realizing these real challenges before I came back to Microsoft as a full-time employee in 2018. And since then, I've been involved in, in AI uh, this entire extent. So I, I, I guess you could say I was thrust into learning about all this stuff from the get-go. And it's really been exciting to see the progress over the last few years. And since I've been talking about artificial intelligence since you know 2016, several several years ago, it's often... Uh, you sort of take it for granted the pace of innovation that's happened. Um, and so for all the the concern or fear that might be about the use of these applications and generative AI, I can tell you for someone who's been around, uh, I mean, they're very powerful models and when used in the appropriate way, it can be an incredible uh, assistive tool. And I equate, you know, these generative AI models in language a lot like a calculator. Um, sure. You know, you you know, it's often. I, I believe that there are protests. I wasn't alive around the time when the slide rule was uh, <laughs> was uh, no longer in favor of a calculator. But I believe the protests yeah. were that nobody was going to learn math anymore, and uh, and that concern holds true with these generative AI models. Well, will no one learn how to write papers and and learn how to 
you know, summarize things and do these sorts of things that is normal everyday human stuff. And no, this is a, you, you still have to do the work, right? <laughs> In fact, we're probably going to need, uh, we're going to need more people to do some of these tasks now that these models enable this for so many more people, um, including programmers to implement them in AI systems. And so, yeah, to answer your question, I was thrust in this early from, from the get go. And, uh, I'm one of those people in a, either in a utopia or a dystopia. I'm right smack dab in the middle. I have <laughs> healthy skepticism for any sort of science fiction novel or film to come true. And I have, uh, you know, optimism for that these tools are going to be really helpful for, for everyone. But we're not going to be sitting on a, on a private island letting, you know, the bots work for us. It's going to just going to help us through the, the drudgery of human everyday tasks that we do. And I'm excited for that, at least. Love that. And speaking of that, yeah. helping us move past the drudgery of everyday tasks, how else do you see Azure OpenAI being beneficial for Microsoft customers today and in the future? Yeah, I mean, you can already see from, from early on uh, with the announcement of these, uh, of these models, Microsoft has been very fast to integrate it into our own work. So we see um, applications in Microsoft 365 and and teams being able to take advantage of, of these uh, improvements in productivity. I'd say that for enterprises, they love that, you know, they just get net new benefits and new productivity gain from using these products and services, but now they want to do it with their data. Um, and so there's going to, there's a, there's a difficulty right now, I think in, in just the general population that customers believe that they have to train these models with their data in order for the models to work for them. And most of these models are ineligible for what's known as fine tuning, which is how you sort of tweak the parameters to work for your specific needs. Um, but for these largest models, these are foundational models, meaning they know language, whether they know your data or not. Right. And there's techniques to ground the model in customers' data to actually make them advantageous or, or beneficial for customers. And so, you know, a great example of this is actually um, you know, CarMax was actually our first customer that went into production when we announced it at Build earlier last year. And, you know, they've been a, a, a used car retailer on .com for several years, uh, both for, you know, uh, they're also the largest, you know, pre-owned uh, vehicle retailer uh, for that. And then with the help of Azure OpenAI Service, they were able to, go, to comb across, you know, 11 years worth of car reviews. So they can use that to wow. hyper-personalize it to individual customers that are surfing their site, right? So, you know, I have a 15-month-old daughter. I'm looking for an SUV to maybe, uh, you know, and, and we have a dog. And so it was table stakes for my wife to say, we need to have enough space for Leonidas, our, our, uh, our pup. And, you know, these things really matter in the case of, like, piling across all these different pre-owned vehicles, how can we just summarize very quickly and briefly for that customer whether this is going to meet all the of my unique needs without just giving me a list of, of features that this car has. And so these models, without fine-tuning them, can be really useful for that sort of stuff. And all of these content writers that were doing this before can now actually focus on more meaningful content, like boosting pages through search engine optimization and things like that, right? So so it actually has net new benefits for CarMax to not focus on the drudgery of trying to synthesize and summarize and, and segment people in a bunch of different categories. Take this person's unique features that are most important to them, 
pine over all the reviews that people have said about particular vehicles and surface the ones that might be most relevant to them, you know, in, in near real time. That's pretty beneficial. Yeah, I, I just want to go back to your pup's name, though, uh, Leonidas. That, that came from the movie 300, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> my wife and I, when we, uh, when we uh, went on our honeymoon, we, we actually went to Italy and Greece, specifically spent a week on the island of Santorini. And so we actually have several dog pups in our, in our family, you know, our friend-based uh, family. <laughs> and so uh, I'm also pup sitting here, uh, another dog named Adonis. Uh, he's a dachshund. Uh, and we, we've got a golden retriever in our, in our midst also named Apollo. So Leonidas just felt like a great fit to add to the family. Makes sense to me. I like it. <laughs> now with CarMax personalizing, it said you, you, you need a back seat. I know Porsches have back seats. So that, that could be an option that they surface up for you. <laughs> it could. Yeah. I think I'm looking for something a little bit more on my budget. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more leg room too in the back seat. They'll take that into consideration too. So when we yeah. think about uh, the customer's data, I think that's a big thing that I'm hearing when I speak to customers that yeah. when I have a conversation about, AI and Microsoft's investment, their concern is, hey, we understand uh, open AI is this public thing. What happens to our data when we use Microsoft? You're saying that with within the partnership with Microsoft, the Microsoft customers, their data stays within their data. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I mean, several things about that. So like, you know, first of all, like the customer data primarily is what we know as prompts. So by definition, these are like, this is the text that you send to these models, and then because they're generative in AI, uh, generative AI models in nature, what they do is like these models take that prompt submitted by the user, and then the completions are output by these models. So the Azure OpenAI service sends this back through an API, and uh, models can, uh, <clears throat> and then you sort of reap the benefit of that output, whatever instruction that you might have sent to it. So any any training, validation, or results from that information is our customers' data, not ours. We don't have access to that information. And uh, the only thing that we would potentially store, um, and it's actually temporarily stored by 30 days, is actually um, uh, an output from the abuse monitoring service. Mm. You can imagine if someone is, has deployed these models into production and uh, someone is attempting to exploit this either internally within a company, unbeknownst to them, or externally from a company as a user either anonymous or known uh is trying to to gain you know uh control over these models to exploit it and get it to do something that it shouldn't do we work with the customer to investigate you know these patterns of abuse and misuse to determine if it's either being used in a manner that violates our product terms or you know whether the customer hasn't implemented the right mitigation techniques to, to solve for that and so that's the only reason that we, that's the only part of the data that's temporarily stored that Microsoft could have access to. And, and usually when we get into these conversations and negotiations with customers, this is typically surrounding the concept that we have mutually shared benefits of using these models responsibly. And the challenge is, is customers are still on that journey to implement, develop, deploy AI at scale the way Microsoft has. And that can be a challenge for a, a lot of entities. And so many of them join this sort of thinking of it as a partnership and saying, Microsoft, we're going to need your guidance on how to actually, you know, uh, deploy these models effectively and how to 
mitigate some of these sort of things? What are the latest techniques and how do we do this responsibly? But, but to be, to be clear, um, you know, other than the abuse monitoring, which actually customers can apply to have that turned off, meaning then Microsoft would not have any access to. And so, especially where there is sensitive data that whether right. to data sovereignty or regulatory or just secure protocol measures that an, an organization might have in place, uh, we we take those on a case by case basis and can go ahead and grant um, abuse monitoring uh, logging turned off. But we don't use any customer's data, either data sent by OpenAI or Azure OpenAI. Uh, uh, Microsoft does not use that to either train, retrain, or improve any of the models for Azure OpenAI service. Fantastic. And when we think about training the AI models, one thing that I've come to learn when it comes to Azure's cloud services and the machine learning abilities of Azure is you as a customer have uh, the capacity to train it how you see fit for your business. Does that still apply with the Azure OpenAI? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. So like um, really the, the models, especially the latest ones like the Turbo model, which is ChatGPT and, and GPT-4, which uses the same sort of construct in that, chem, uh, that conversational manner. These models are used in, in, in several ways or techniques on, on learning. So uh, <clears throat> you, many people know this um, in, the, in this particular trade is prompt engineering. And prompt engineering is really just the design of the prompt to sort of get the output that you want from these models. And this could be done in a variety of ways. One of them is an instruction where you explicitly tell it, you know, write an introduction for a weekly newsletter, right? And so it'll just go do that thing with no, little to no knowledge other than you told it to do that thing. You could also say with more complex instructions, like write an introduction for a weekly newsletter to my company named Contoso. It should mention the great all hands meeting we had last week and thank the team for all their hard work over the, the tough uh, past few months. And then it will give you sort of a start from there, really knowing nothing about the customer other than what it specifically described. And then, you know, you could even put this in sort of a rules based fashion where you say, you know, write an instruction for a weekly newsletter, including the following. And then you list all those things and it will sort of construct those things. So that's that's instruction. Right. Another way to do this is actually uh, it just being being smart as far as best practices. Like when you use these models like this, be specific. Leave as like little inter interpretation as possible. Be descriptive. You know, sometimes you can use analogies, and and the models understand those analogies. Surprisingly, like a lot of customers say, well, you know, how do I prevent the model from uh, from hallucinating? Like this is something that that we're worried about, and for you know, the listeners, hallucination is this concept that's uh, still not very well understood, but we know that the models do it, which is sometimes the the model will fabricate some language just because the language that was asked in the instruction is close or related to what was predicted to be output, even if it's not related to the content. So uh, a lot of the work that you do in this particular space is what we call grounding the model in data. And Bing Chat is a great example of what model, what model grounding is, which is when you type in a query and, you know, I, I'm a single parent this week while my wife is in Paris with her best friend visiting her sister. Uh, you know, I was looking on Bing Chat for, you know, healthy toddler recipes, right? So 
When I type in healthy toddler recipes, before it generates an answer, it could just fabricate one on its own. But then you can see right after my user query, it says searching. What's happening there? The Bing orchestration engine is actually going to be the Bing search API and trying to find relevant you know, websites that might be related to recipes for toddlers. It's also using the ranking API to try to semantically bring up the most important things that answer my questions. And then it even uses the Bing Answers API sometimes when we definitively have an answer that we know that we can use to respond with. And then the model, before it ever even sees the user's query, gets all of this text from all of those API results as context for how to come back with the, with the answer. And then it sees toddler recipes, right? Healthy toddler recipes before it generates an answer. So you do this all at query time, which can take a, a little bit of time, but what you're doing is you're supplying the model with a bunch of context and then basically construct an answer from the data I've given you prior to just spitting something out and hallucinating, right? Wow. Wow. No, that's 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 amazing uh, information. And, um, you know, I definitely just learned a lot just by listening to that. So, no, I appreciate you, Nick. So uh, one thing I do want to ask you is, you know, what do you see the future being of you know, open AI, open Azure AI, um, what, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it, it's sort of not obvious today for folks that have, have uh, not been in the scene for as long as, as some of us have. But, you know, right. as I see it, uh, you know, like language itself doesn't just ex- exist in a vacuum. Like largely there is a lot of unstructured text out there that is yet untapped and, and insights to be mm-hmm. gained from all the value of that unstructured information. So that's clear. But, you know, what do I do with my speech data? Like, how do I analyze that information to cover insights if I run a call center? Um, What if I have a bunch of forms that I have customers fill out for submitting a service claim or an insurance claim or any sort of, you know, claims based, a service ticket even if I'm, you know, submitting tickets for IT and a help desk to help me with a password reset or stuff. Like how do I automatically route those tickets to the right personnel? There's, so you, you sort of have to take some sort of AI beforehand, which might be speech transcription using Azure Speech from Azure AI and converting that to text before the model can then can be used for that. And so I think one of the things that you'll start to see in our near future is how we sort of build these scenarios that can help um, organizations take that that voice data from the start and then get insights as an output and, you know, in a single API call, which you really couldn't, you can't do today. You sort of have to wire all these things together in order to make them work together. But I think with little or no customization, I think a lot of enterprises and customers, moreover, are just looking for full solutions. And this brings a huge opportunity for Microsoft's partners to build solutions, right? So like one of the, one of the things that we always discuss with customers, and as I say, you really ultimately have three choices. You can build it yourself. You know, you can buy it off a shelf where partners maybe already sell these services to customers or or in software that they've uh, developed and deployed and, and it's available in the Azure marketplace. Or you have to find a partner to help build it with you uh, if you don't have the skills in-house to do it. So build, buy, and, and partner is sort of the, the discussion that we have. And that resonates well with, with customers because, uh, uh, yeah, but, so that's the thing I see is we're going from these single modalities of just language, text in, text out, to now like maybe voice in or image in and, and text out. 
Love that. So the the evolution will be to improve upon what we have to make it stronger, make our lives easier. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for for breaking down what OpenAI is relative to Azure OpenAI and helping us understand the not only the use cases, how it's being used today and providing a customer success story, but you also shared how you use it for fun, being a, a single dad as your, as your wife is in, you said Paris at the moment. So I think that is a fantastic way to see how this GPT technology is going to be more and more uh, woven into our the fabric of everyday life. So thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was, uh, it was a real pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to Digestible Dynamics Podcast, a show for you, the innovators, with content directly from the experts. While we only cover one tidbit of Dynamics 365 per episode, if you want to learn more, head over to our LinkedIn page by searching for Digestible Dynamics on LinkedIn so that we can guide you to the right resource to help you maximize your Dynamics 365 experience. If you have any other questions, email your host, KJ and KG at digestible dynamics at microsoft.com until next time folks